Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 70, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. I'm Ravi Abbott. And me, Joe Fox. And we have a rather grown-up member of the team this week, Joe Fox, who's got married since he was last on the show. Bastards. <laughs> Before we get a copyright strike. <laughs> well done, Joe. Oh, thank you. Feels ages ago now. Yeah, no, it was. It was a couple of weeks ago. I've been in Florida ever since. So. Yeah, still getting over the jet lag? Yes. No, I'm over it now. I've been back a few days. You've not had to chuck any retro stuff out yet, have you? No, no not yet. No, a uh, funny, interesting story. I actually have an entire room. And today we were actually down at B&Q looking at like... Uh, how to decorate the house, use the wedding money to like decorate the house. And I was like, you have complete free reign over the house as long as you do not touch the retro room. So yeah. that's like the agreement. <laughs> like. Good thinking, Joe, good thinking. Well, Joe actually dropped me a Facebook message from his honeymoon. He's like, look, I found this amazing arcade. Yeah, yeah, no, it was amazing. I'll post some pictures on the page or something. But yeah, I found this amazing arcade while I was over there. Well, it's great to have you back on, Joe. And uh, congrats on the wedding. We had a good time, didn't we, Ravi? Oh, yeah, it was great. Remember. <laughs> yeah. yeah, from what we remember. <laughs> now, this week's show is going to be slightly different to what we normally do. We've run out of guests, Dan. That's not the case, is it? (laughs) And the reason I say this is because there will be people who've said that, you know, we have people say after, like, show five, that's it, you've peaked now. You can't get any bigger guests on the show. Yeah, that's it. Next week, if you like Atari, do not miss next week's show. You're going to get the inside story on systems like the Atari ST, the Lynx, the Falcon, the Jaguar. This week, though, it's all about us. Because we love ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the reason why, actually, Joe. No, in all seriousness, you know, believe it or not, I was a little bit awkward about doing this show. You know, I mentioned this to Ravi yesterday. We came up with the idea, and it's an idea I've had in my mind for a while, because actually I think we were at um, Play Expo last year. Like, a guy came up and listens every week, lovely guy, and he said, I'd love to hear a bit more of you guys on the show. I hear a lot of that. When we get a lot of emails and comments, people are always saying, oh, the intro's really nice, and, you know, the 20, 30 minutes but we want more of it. And the thing is, we have these guests on, so we've got to try and compress it all into an hour. So hopefully you'll get a bit more Ravi and Dan. And I do know that, you know, a lot of people, probably most people listen for the amazing guests that we've got, but this is going to be a bit, a bit of an interesting benchmark to kind of see, you know, the interest. Maybe people listen to the news and turn off the show and it'll be <laughs> yeah. our lowest rated episode ever. We're giving this a try, though. We thought we'd give you, you know, for our 70th episode, we've done this now for 70 weeks. We thought we'd give you a little bit more of an insight into who we are, and I think this is going to be quite interesting, a little bit of a kind of round table about our retro memories and systems that we love and games. You see, I think it'll be really interesting because of one of the things I love watching, you know, all these YouTube videos and all these YouTubers and kind of thing. And it's interesting to hear about the games and what's going on in the news and stuff. But I always find it very, very interesting to hear their stories and mm-hmm. their memories. And I, for, for, for me, that's something that I, I'm really interested in. So maybe there is some listeners out there who will be bothered by this. So do let us know what you think, um, if you haven't turned off already after hearing that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting for next week. <laughs> yeah. well, well, actually, you know, we would like a little bit more listener interaction from uh, next week. We're going to have uh, an email address and a contact form. So um, look out for those. We'll give you all the information. And, of course, you can tweet us anytime you like, at RetroHourUK. Now, of course, this show would not be possible without the people who find it in their hearts to donate a couple of quid, 
couple of euros, couple of dollars into the cause and help us keep the lights on here at the Retro Hour podcast. Because, you know, doing the show every week, we do have expenses, server costs, a lot of stuff we need to pay for. Got to host a website. You know. Exactly, which uh, is probably getting a bit of a refresh sooner here, Ravi. Oh, yeah, God, don't rush me. <laughs> <laughs> it's been announced now. But we do, uh, you know, we have a little donation button on our website. All you've got to do is head to theretrohour.com. We get some people saying, you know, all I can afford to give you is like one euro. And we're like, that's amazing, you know. Every every little penny that we get into this helps us keep Bear the love. show going. Bear love. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So all you've got to do if you'd like to make a donation is head to our website, theretrohour.com. There is a PayPal button there, and also there is a new way to donate to the show. Yes, we're now accepting Bitcoin. So we've had quite a few requests to accept uh, cryptocurrencies, so uh, we're going to start with Bitcoin. If anyone else wants to add stuff, then uh, let us know. We will have a little wallet address on the website. I'm not going to read it out now because it would just be numbers. You <laughs> <laughs> can find that at theretrohour.com. You can donate anonymously if uh, people you know, don't want to admit they listen to this show. Then, yeah. Uh, <laughs> on the website. Or deal in Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> but if you would like a mention you know, in the Retro Hours Hall of Fame, which uh, our kind donators do get every week, then of course all you've got to do is head to our website. And we want to say a massive thank you this week to Craig Riddell. Andreas Sawyer. Michael Conklin and Christopher Hull, who've all made donations to the Retro Hour podcast through our website, theretrohour.com. We'll catch you up a bit there, Ravi. Yeah, yeah. I was like, ah, oh, pronounce quickly. <laughs> yeah, we do apologise if we mince any pronunciations. We do try our best. Now, there is something very big coming up next weekend, um, being that the summer is now here, and judging by the, uh, the sunshine today, you know, the smell of freshly cut grass and body odour in the studio tonight. <laughs> Summer's here, and uh, that means the first of the retro events. On the summer calendar is coming up next weekend, Revival 2017. Whoop, whoop. But you're not coming to, Bravi. No, no. <laughs> no God, I, I can't make this one, I'm afraid, yeah, but I'll be at the other one. <laughs> so this is coming up next weekend on the uh, 20th and the uh, 21st of May, a bank stadium in Warsaw here in the Midlands. We've been to Revival a few times in the past, haven't we? Yeah, we've been a good handful of times. It's always been good. Yeah, it was actually the first ever retro one we went to wasn't it about three years ago yeah yeah and uh paul smallman was there because it was near uh warsaw and remember there was a whole room going on with conferences we didn't see and we missed it <laughs> <laughs> so guys when you go this time check the back room <laughs> well, i've heard there is some interesting people there including uh dave perry oh yeah of a games master fame which i've got a feeling we actually brought him out of retirement about a year ago didn't we oh yeah we yeah i think that was one of his first interviews after a long time when he would you know, he'd gone into tattooing and then he kind of came out back into gaming. Yeah, there's going to be loads of competitions and, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a really good day. Lots of free-to-play arcades and stuff there as well. Uh, we mainly go for the shopping, to be fair, don't Yeah, we? me and Dan and Ravi. Not not so much Ravi, but me and Dan usually come out with a couple of hundred pounds worth of stuff in bags, <laughs> don't we? Go a bit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> if your new wife is listening, then obviously that's not going to happen. No, no, she, she, no, I don't know what she's on about. <laughs> <laughs> she never listens, come on. No, she doesn't. <laughs> so if you are coming down, we're going to be there on the Saturday. I actually posted it on Facebook and there's about 10 of our listeners already said they're coming along on the Saturday as well. So do come over, say hello and... Uh, uh, Joe, I'll buy your pint. Oh, right, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Oral contract no, now, Joe. I, I, yeah, that's it. No, I usually do my ignorant thing and be just completely like engulfed in all the arcade machines. I think we were at one in Manchester a few months ago and I was just obsessing with House of the Dead 1 and Dan was like, oh, here, Joe, here's some of our listeners. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. carried on playing. What's the retro hour? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were the bird. Joe will be the ignorant one on time crisis. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> so if you're coming down next Saturday, um, drop us a tweet at Retro Hour UK. If you don't know what we look like, then you know, we'll drop you on back and maybe hook up and say hi. Now then, before we get into, uh, I was going to say, this week's special guests, which will be us, <laughs> let's get into this week's news stories. Now, did you ever have pagers when you were younger? 
oh yeah, I had a pager, and it'd mainly be my mum texting me saying dinner's ready. <laughs> and that oh, would be from it. downstairs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Vodafone have finally turned off their pager services. Wow, I can't believe they're still kind of using pagers, but I guess for medical professionals and people like that, you know, it's a good service. But um, wasn't it a case that you had to ring an operator before and say your really awkward message, and then they'd type it out and send it to the page? Well, they're like moderators as well, weren't you? You can't say that. I didn't know if they could deny it, because yeah. I said some pretty shocking things on pages. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never had a pager, but my friend Ricky did when we were at school. And yeah, we would ring up and like, you know, swearing and that, they wouldn't let him put it. Oh, really? you, you can't put that. No, yeah. I've never, I've, I don't think I've ever seen a pager in person, to be honest. I'm just, you know, I'm not saying I was too young or anything like that. I just never saw one, they really. Were, so. They were quite cool. They ran off a like double A battery as well. Yeah. So it just run for a long, long time. Yeah. No, I can imagine they were super handy, like before texting was really took off and everything. Yeah, well, they're saying here they're still kind of handy because there's places like hospitals where yeah. you can't use your f- mobile phone. So yeah, yeah. Even though Vodafone are withdrawing their service, Page One is still the UK's only remaining supplier. There is a company that still exists just <laughs> yeah, to do pages. Yeah. Well, apparently Vodafone had like a thousand people still using this, which is probably more than I thought it would have been. Yeah, that's crazy, but still not worth maintaining it, <laughs> yeah, is it with a thousand. It sounds like a lot, but. When you really think about it, it's only a thousand. Like. I guess they've got to have transmitters like everywhere, and they're probably like old analog transmitters and stuff. Do so, you, uh, do you think like they sent a letter out to them all? Because like I, I work for an insurance firm, and uh, a couple of years ago, we still had like so many hundred of customers in the UK who still had like household insurance, which covered specifically like VHS players, and we had to send them a letter and just be like, yeah, we we can't get these anymore. Like if these break, like just so you know, we can't replace them. So I wonder if they did anything like that. Probably just paged them. Yeah, 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 just paged them, yeah. So, rest in peace, Vodafone pager service. Now, speaking of, like, retro events that we've been to, last year in Manchester, we did, of course, see uh, Hewson's Hyper Sentinel, which is um, Hewson, who are back. They've actually done this really cool new shoot-em-up. It's kind of the spiritual successor to Iridium. Mm. Um, obviously, the Kickstarter, you know, it kind of failed at first and they redid it and it's been a success now. I'm one of the backers for it. Big news this week, though. It's not just going to be out on uh, the PC and Xbox and all that. They're actually releasing a Nintendo Switch version of it. That's pretty cool. Mm. That's really cool. I've, I've kind of been hearing about these um, Switch dev kits going out to certain developers uh, like John Hare, who's actually doing searchable soccer oh, wow. for okay. the Switch. Which should be really good, you know, having the kind of old Sensi style game. I think this is cool though, because it's like they're bringing retro games to the new system, but they're like, you know, remakes. Well, at the moment, the Switch, I mean, it's kind of getting a few more games now. I've got like, obviously Mario Kart's just come out on it, Mario yeah. Kart 8 Deluxe. Bought that. I've got the uh, Puyo Puyo Tetris as well, which 40 quid for a Tetris game was a bit of a hard sell, but it's actually loads of fun. Oh, is it? But, I mean, you go on the, sh- the, yeah, the eShop on there, like half of it. Is old Neo Geo games that they've like updated? Oh, really? Yeah, like literally half the store. Haven't they got cool. Metal Slug? What, on there? Yeah. What yeah. I think is really interesting, really nice to see, is there seems to be a lot of third-party publishers for the Switch, like a lot more than there has been for Nintendo in quite a while. And obviously, it's very early on in its life, but it's really nice to see that half their library already is like, you know, third-party producers and also people making games for the Switch. Like, it's just you wouldn't have heard that like you know, ten, fifteen years ago, you just didn't hear of indie developers making games for the game. Yeah, and it doesn't seem to be crap indie developers. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's not like the random person. It's like established, already older names or old giants, you know. Yeah, it does seem that, you know, Nintendo are kind of realising that they do need 
third-party games on here. And I think the indie scene now, it's at a stage where the games are often as polished as, like, commercial yeah. games Oh, yeah, anyway. absolutely. Shovel Knight, like, yeah. I think there's a massive kind of, like, competitor there, like, a massive kind of game that proves that, so... Yeah, it does bug me that it's like I think it's like twenty five quid or something to buy it on there, and it's yeah. like n- nine quid on the Xbox. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's quite uh, must be quite frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> it's when you get a new console though; it's always more. Yeah, expensive I've still not played the Switch actually. So now this is really really cool. Ravi found this article here, um, and this is so random. I don't even know quite why they've done this. I've read this article about four times, and I still can't figure out exactly where the thought process has come from. But a Ford dealer, Jennings Ford have actually done some kind of 3D mock-ups of what retro consoles would look like if they were made into cars. <laughs> it's, it's pretty hilarious, actually, because the 2600 sports car has a giant joystick sticking out the top. So you can imagine driving that into a tunnel <laughs> and just completely <laughs> flipping it. You know, you go to a shopping mall down the, like the ramps. Some yeah. of them just look fantastically awful as well, which I love. Like, I mean... The Atari one, like the fact that it's got the on and off switch on the side of the car as well, is just brilliant. Like. <laughs> you, want, you want the traffic lights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the NES one kind of reminds me a bit of like, it could be like a road road sweeper or something. Could yeah, I, I thought people carrier, but yeah, road, road sweeper actually is probably more fitting. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. They've kind of covered a lot of systems as well. So the GameCube kind of van looks a bit like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle van as <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. My favourite of them all, though, they've got um, like the Genesis one, they call it, the Mega Drive one. It's like, it looks like, like it could be something out of like Knight Rider or Tron or something. I was literally thinking Knight Rider. Yeah. Like, it looks pretty sick, like pretty sick Batmobile. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> and then you get to the Nintendo Switch, it just looks like the biggest pile of rubbish. <laughs> I wonder if the side light panels of the car actually clip yeah, off. Or yeah. <laughs> Could be like a really, really bad superhero <laughs> film. We're like, oh, we should get one so like me and Ravi sit in the side clip bits and then you sit in the middle. <laughs> I'd subject you both. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see a geek driving one of these down the road. Yeah. It'd be great. Oh, fantastic. Well, it was years ago when I was in, um, I was in Paris probably about four years ago now and there was a guy who had like this rich millionaire kid and he'd actually made a replica of the DeLorean from Back to the Future. Oh, my God. Even had the Mr. Fusion on the back and all that. It was like... And he left the door open, so we got in it. I actually saw a DeLorean in uh, the actual DeLorean, but one of the ones they used in the film at Universal Studios. Oh, wow. Yeah, while I was in Florida, which was like, I was just there, like, ah, kind of thing. But it was just one of the props. It wasn't one, but then the actual train from Back to the Future 3 was there. Because apparently they only actually made one of those trains and they had that. It was amazing. Is Hill Valley still there? Because I know, didn't it get no, like, they destroyed got rid of it? It's a Simpsons world now, but okay. just as you get into Simpsons world, they've still got the DeLorean and the the train, but they're like fenced off, like behind, like, you know, some, like, you know, the velvet kind of like <laughs> uh, rope. But yeah, they're there. Like, I touched it. I like leaned over and put my hand on it. I was like, yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, random Amiga fact uh, the head of Melancia used to have a DeLorean and he crashed it into a tree. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, cause I remember that when I get back to this guy in Paris, he'd like, we were walking past and we thought it was like a tourist thing because like loads of people were getting into it and all that. Then he's like, his wife comes out screaming at us, oh, he just left the car unlocked. There's like a queue of people just sitting in his car getting pictures That's taken. brilliant. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. What do you expect to happen if you leave it unlocked? You like? know I mean? <laughs> he did not look impressed. Oh, so if you want to look at these uh, retro consoles as cars, it's a little bit random, but it's definitely worth a look. We should have those in our show notes at theretrohour.com. Now, by far, one of the coolest projects that we've been following for the last couple of years, and uh, you know, a former guest on this show, Mr. Ben Heck, who we had on not long ago, has now got the Sony Nintendo PlayStation prototype working. Yeah, um, if you haven't seen the videos, he's been struggling for over about, I think it's a year or two years. 
to kind of get this going. Yeah. Yeah, and the main issue he had was the uh, CD-ROM was not communicating. So, you know, when they first got it and it was found in this mysterious box, like whatever it was, like two years ago, it didn't work. It just, it powered on, did it? But It, it played the original SNES games, but I don't think there was any sound. Okay. Mm. So, obviously, I'm reading this here and it says it's been heavily modded to get it working, but he's now got it working. Yeah, they said some main stuff had had actually been disabled by Nintendo itself. Right, okay. So he kind of brought that stuff back because maybe they were saying some of the features, you know, they weren't ready. Yeah. So... Oh, that's really interesting. I mean, I I was kind of worried, like, reading this article that he's just kind of taken it apart and just kind of put the guts of a PlayStation and a Sega (laughs) in it and just gone, yeah, look at this I've done. Like, do you know what I mean? PlayStation and Sega, sorry, PlayStation and SNES. (laughs) (laughs) It's like he's found the similar CD-ROM drives and stuff like this, but they're also saying because the BIOS has been dumped and someone has already made an emulator, now that it's working, you can make a really accurate emulator and start making homebrew games for it. So, you know... If you make the emulator just in software, there's going to be problems. But now you can actually test them on the machine and go, oh, this isn't working. Because so. they made like two games, haven't they, for the emulator? And in yeah. this video, I mean, what essentially it is, it, all it is doing is loading SNES games from a CD-ROM. Yeah. But obviously they can store like, you know, 600 megabytes. Yeah. So he actually tried out a couple of the games that have been made on the emulator. One didn't work properly. It was glitchy, wasn't it? Yeah. The other one did, though, so he's going to feed that back to the team. Well, well the, the, the one that was glitchy, he actually rang the guy who'd done it and said, oh, it's glitchy. And he goes, I know how to fix it and just fixed it and then made a new version for him. New CD. So that's okay. now working, yeah. So, um, yeah, he's brought it back to functionality for the first time in, like, almost, like, 30 years. So Yeah, <laughs> so there, there could be, like, games coming out for this system and there's only one of them in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and there could be, you know, lots of developers trying to get really cool new games on there. And this guy's very lucky. Yeah. Given games made just for his system. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's when you know you made it, isn't it? <laughs> that's super nerdy. <laughs> so uh, we'll put that in our show notes this week as well if you want to watch Ben's videos. A few of his previous ones are really interesting when he's poking around the hardware and there's like a mystery chip he kind of reads the contents of and stuff like that on there too. So definitely an interesting bit of gaming history. Now we'll finish on this story. A group of prisoners in Ohio <laughs> built a computer from spare parts on a, on a roof. Is that right? <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> what happened was uh, the PCs were actually found in 2015, but the story's only come public now, and it was at Marion Correctional Institute. And uh, basically, they'd been working with recycled computer programs, so they had all these little components, and some of the prisoners put them together, created a PC, put it in the roof tiles, and then connected to the network there. And for three hours at night, this guy was trying to find sites to circumvent the proxy. And he eventually did. Started downloading stuff, pornography. Um, you know, That's the go-to. Articles about making drugs, stuff like this. And the only reason that they found out about it was because the IT got emailed and told that their daily internet allowance was, like, over the limit. Kind <laughs> of the data allowance, yeah. there. Your porn allowance is through the roof. <laughs> What's the governor of this prison? Look at that, yeah, yeah, in the middle of the night. So. No man should need that amount of porn. <laughs> 
that you know you got to give him props for it. Be a pretty ingenious solution, isn't yeah. it, to, to get your fix? <laughs> That's brilliant. So uh, yeah, it's quite an interesting read as well on the BBC. So we'll put that in this week's show notes too. Right then, well, thank you for checking out episode number seventy of the Retro Hour podcast. If you'd like to switch off before this week's main interview, then now's your opportunity to <laughs> do so. Stop encouraging them. <laughs> but um, we will be out again next Friday, available from all of your favourite podcast clients. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube. Napster. <laughs> we should be, though. Yeah. Yeah. Napster do podcast. No, I, I don't think Napster's around anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice and retro, wouldn't it? You get, yeah. Can you upload us on Kazaa every week? Really? <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for checking out the show, guys. And now, for the next 45 minutes... This week's special guest will be us guys. You're listening to the Retro Hour podcast and it is time to welcome this week's very special guest. This feels so strange. <laughs> Ravi Abbott, Joe Fox and uh, me, Dan Wood. Oh, hey. Woo! Best guest you ever had. <laughs> <laughs> now, as we did say at the Cheapest. start... Cheapest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, as we did say at the start of the show, you know, the reason we are doing this is because we do occasionally get requests from people saying, you know, we'd like to hear more about you guys in the show. And we thought, thought that with this being our 70th episode, not really quite a landmark, but, you know, it's an even number. <laughs> and uh, Paul Kitchen actually said to me in London, you know, after the... Um, podcast awards were out the other week and yeah. we were sipping champagne at the bar you'd wandered off somewhere and he said oh you know you, you and Ravi should interview yourselves and at the time I laughed it off and I thought you know actually maybe that could make an interesting show yeah we'll see how the stats are yeah so I guess we'll find out you just brought me along for the ride <laughs> well Joe obviously you know part of the podcast too so it'd be nice to uh, get some of your stories so people you know we, we can get to know each other a lot better I thought and oh, it won't stuff. just be a Commodore answers all the time yeah that's true Joe, yeah so. you may get a little bit of Sega in there and well stuff. let's start with a question that we always start when we interview people. And that is, what was your first ever computer experience? And we'll start with you, Joe. Computer experience? Oh, we can broaden it to gaming, if you like. I can think what my first ever gaming experience was. Um, and it's actually one of my earliest memories because of the Sega Mega Drive came out in 89. Now I was born in 89. So, and my older brother had one. So I think, I think I was about three years old, maybe four years old. And I remember being at my uncle's house and we're taking the Sega with us and showing his kids Golden Axe. And I remember my uncle commenting on the fact that I was so young, like three years old, and was actually sat there playing it, whereas his kids who were like maybe one or two years older were just stood there like, you know, jumping up and down. And that always just stuck with me for some reason. I'm pretty sure it might have been Golden Axe too, but that's like literally one of my earliest ever memories. But Good game to start on. Yeah, good game to start on. But computer-wise, I think... Christmas 95, uh, my dad got us for Christmas a, a, a Windows computer with Windows 95 on it, and uh, it had <laughs> Dangerous Creatures on it, which was like one of those interactive learning games, and uh, me and my brother just played it like all Christmas Day, and it was just like, I remember being like, play the lizard video again, and it was just like a video, <laughs> like, the, like you know, like where it's just like the little tiny box, you know, <laughs> on the middle of your computer screen, playing like a video about like chameleons or something, like, so that was probably my earliest computer memory. What about you, Ravi? My first computer memory was my mum was doing a PhD on a WordStar, you know, the really old one with the big floppies, and... um kind of missile command that was one of the first games i played on there but it was black and green screen oh wow so it, it was pretty good i i just think it was my parents didn't have that good computer for the time it wasn't i was like wow <laughs> like, yeah, they just had a crappy machine for word processing but you could run a few things on there so uh early missile command you know trying to get those lines as they were coming down that's my first frustrating kind of gaming memory 
Well, for me, I think gaming memory for me was, um, I remember it was Christmas Eve and like my dad and I were out like doing shopping and my mum was at home, my brother was just a little baby. And um, my dad stopped at like his mate's pub for a pint. And like, you know, when yeah. you're a kid, it's like, I'll go and play with the other kids. So I got sent upstairs and he had a son about my age called David and he had a NES and he was playing, do you remember Kung Fu Master? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and that was the first game. He like passed the controller, do you want to go? And I'm like, oh, okay. Didn't know what I was doing. Like, yeah. literally, I'm probably only about like four years old yeah, or something. Yeah. But um, I always stuck in my mind though, because like my dad, like he came upstairs and said, oh, you know, we need to go now then, son. I was like, oh, can I just play the game a bit longer? He goes, well, I'll have another pint if you like. And then <laughs> tell your mum, we're there about like six hours, I think, in the end. So that was my first, earliest gaming memory. And I think computers were probably at school actually using, you know, like um, BBC Micros. Yeah. I, it probably when I was about like uh, you know maybe just started junior school, I used to be the cool uh, the school's computer monitor, not like a, a TV. <laughs> don't don't yeah. plug into you. <laughs> like Dan Tuddy. <laughs> <laughs> so every, I was Dan had an interesting childhood, <laughs> living his life as a computer monitor. <laughs> don't get too close to me all this radiation but um, yeah me and my friend like Gary we must have been massive nerds we said oh you know we'll set the computers up in the morning and we used to lock them away in like a massive iron safe every night <laughs> well like four in the school and every morning we had to set them up get the big like cub monitors and like wheel them into the classrooms and all the other kids like, <laughs> I bet it was like a, like a big sense of pride as you were doing it as well yeah, look what I'm doing all the kids the kids are like oh, look at that dork <laughs> so that's probably my earliest memory I think have you, have you found the Chameleon video on YouTube anytime? No, we used to play a game called, which we also got called, oh, I've forgotten what it's called. That's going to annoy me now. But it was like Mr. It was like Dr. Something's body parts or something. <laughs> like, I can't remember what it was, but like literally, I can't remember it at all, but I looked it up on eBay and I, I should have bought it when I found it when I could remember its name once. But it was literally a game where you played your life and like you started off as a child and the first level you'd move from destination to destination you'd live a day essentially in the life of yourself mm-hmm. and you had to pick like what you would eat at each meal and what you would do and like to keep yourself healthy and the healthier you kept yourself the longer you lived and me and my brother were really bad at it because we would go on it and we're like oh yeah I've have, I have the crisps and I've the coke <laughs> like out the vending machine and we'd never get past like the third level which meant you'd like live to like 60 <laughs> and I sure this wasn't real life <laughs> yeah yeah I can't remember what it was called but it was I remember that and uh, I've, I've not looked up the Dangerous Creatures video but uh, I should really should actually <laughs> well for fine that I'll shoot that in this week's yeah, show yeah, well. you should do it we can all reminisce at Joe's Chameleon videos and stuff. <laughs> now the next one when did you first get online what about you Ravi oh that I think it was quite late on actually um, I remember Yahoo chat was going and it had the voice chat over it and uh, we used to go on there, and it was the first time we could ever talk to Americans. Mm. We'd never talked to Americans before. So all In the world. Like, not just Ravi. Like. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so we basically um, just very immature and went on a complete trolling, f- f- like, flaming rampage. You fought down the microphone. Yeah, screamed down the microphone, everything, really bad. And then, he was um, 21. <laughs> and this was on, I think it was Demon Internet, really early. I remember Demon. Yeah, and then... Uh, we got a warning letter from Demon saying, you have been causing trouble in chat rooms and abusing Americans and stuff. So Fantastic. we were like, oh, don't use the internet anymore. <laughs> the thing is with ISPs, with ISPs back then, he didn't have contracts as well. Darren, another one there. Yeah, 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 yeah. you're, you're lost, Demon. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Joe? Um, gosh, I can't remember. I vaguely remember being at school in like year five and we didn't really have like a computer room or anything uh but like in the main hallway of our school for some reason they set up a load of computers 
And I remember like we had to look up stuff about Charles Dickinson. And at the time, there was kind of like no firewall. And I remember just going up to the teacher and just being like, uh, I've looked up Charles Dickinson um, and there's just all these men have come up and like she came over and there was just an abundance of gay porn on my computer (laughs) that you'd search for that I'd search for and I just remember like I remember it clear as day and I was just like why has all this come up like how have I spelt this so wrong like what have I done (laughs) and I had to go get a teacher and I remember like it was just like and all my mates were laughing like I wasn't embarrassed you know because I knew I had like I was just like why like what's going on what have I done what have I done like um, and then I think when I was about I don't know not long after that probably a few months after that we kind of got dial up at home Mm. Um, and like I say like same as Ravi just kind of pissing about in chat rooms and didn't have an MSN account or anything. Was just going on like AOL chat rooms. Well, mine was actually. Um, I remember reading about bulletin boards in a magazine, and we had one Acorn Archimedes in our IT class that I noticed had a modem on the back of it. This was probably about ninety three, maybe ninety three. Oh wow, that's early. Oh, wow. It's pre, you know, pre yeah. before the web took off. And I remember bringing in the magazine with a bulletin board number, and like I said to my friend, you know, the teacher's not looking. Should we like? We found a terminal program like randomly on there. Dialed up. There was something called used to be called Sick Kicks. C-I-X. Yeah. And, like, we dialed into that and, like, created an account and all that, and then we're just, like, yeah, just chatting to other people and stuff. It must have been on for about an hour, obviously using up the phone bill and everything like that. <laughs> teacher never spotted us. We kept doing that every week until one day the teacher came, what are you looking at there? Got busted doing it. But that was the first time I ever went online. And then I remember a bit later on in school, we came back, like, after the summer, probably about 95 this. Yeah. And there was, like, four computers in the library that had, like, you know, World Wide Web written above them, and yet to book it out for an hour if yeah. you want to go on the web. Yeah. So, you know, I, I used to go in on the evenings after school and, like, on the weekends and all that, you know, proper nerd. But it was just so interesting. Like, I remember seeing, like, you know, Yahoo and stuff like that. The, you know, it used to be, like, a, a directory. And that yeah. was, like, the main search engine, like, uh, Alta Vista. And I remember one kid actually left the Pearl Jam chat room logged in before me. Never a fan of the band Pearl Jam, but it's the first time I've ever seen a chat room. So, that, those were the earliest ones, weren't they? Like Pearl Jam, Iron Maiden, yeah. and like all these kind of heavy metal chat rooms were the early internet kind of trolls and stuff. I used to go on there, yeah, I was probably one of them. I, used, I think my handle was the dude. It's <laughs> 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 yeah. going like wind up all these metal heads and stuff. So. Oh, I love that. I had a mate who was a real computer, like his family were really, you know, quite nerdy and everything. They always had the internet and the computers and everything before we did. Mm. And I remember like, um, his like username was like badass Adam. Yeah. And I was like, you're not badass. Like, <laughs> you're, you're, you're a, my arm. Yeah, he literally was like, yes, you're my arm. Like Adam, he was like, really? Like... <laughs> What about you, chat rooms, then? What did you used to hang out in, Revy? Um, I don't know if you know about Habbo Hotel. Yeah. That, oh, that was yeah. the early one, yeah. Oh, God. Uh, in the early days, I used to hang there, and Coke Music, which was one that was sponsored by Coke, but the moderation was absolutely awful, so that was a lot worse than Habbo Hotel. But I was on there in the early days, and it was all shockwave, so people would do like lots of dodgy hacking and stuff. And uh, Anonymous used to be on there. Oh, right. That's where they actually started. And I saw one of their first actions, which was uh, the game had lots of censorship and it was for kids. So they decided to make a giant swastika <laughs> <laughs> out of people in the swimming pool and block all the entrance. And they said the pool had been closed due to AIDS and stuff like this. It was totally crazy, but one of the first kind of big 4chan Reddit-like attacks. And uh, we were just chatting on there. Like, what is going on? And it, it was really cool, actually, because it was not an MMO, but it was a shockwave-based chat room where you could do more stuff. It was quite good fun. Later on, it got all 
very nasty and stuff, and I left later on. But uh, the early days was good fun. Did you ever do IRC? IRC, yeah, yeah. Used to do IRC um, with lots of different clients, and we used to have kind of chatbots in the IRC that would, you know, do little actions. So you'd diss the chatbot and it would like slap you in the face or like kick you from the room or something. There was yeah. one like, I think it was Merck, it had like, you know, slaps in the face with a wet trout or something. Yeah, that was, was the yeah, one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was all different ones like Ice IRC and all these other clients you could get to add crazy stuff and lots of good downloading on IRC, I remember. I remember I got a modem at home uh, for my Amiga 1200. And like, uh, I think I ran up a phone bill of like three hundred and sixty pounds in a month, and then Brilliant. and it took off me like literally about you know a month later. <laughs> yeah, never got it back to this day. Did you ever run, run up any big phone bills? Oh yeah, yeah, I did, but that was mainly for the Habo credits, which were like the uh, you know currency that you could spend on there. It got so bad that my parents actually um, put a physical lock on my um, phone line in my bedroom. And then I like a padlock. No, it's like a, a <laughs> I was lock, say, like what? <laughs> it, it like basically disabled the phone line inside. You could use it for phone calls, but you couldn't dial up. Oh wow! So I took the whole thing apart and ripped it out. <laughs> Logged on again. Soz mum. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I ever did anything with the in, like sort of similar to that. But I think um, when we first got an NTL box to you know watch digital TV, essentially like in the late nineties early 2000s or something and I remember they were doing pay-per-view but like on music videos Yeah, and they were only 20 pence a music video and I remember thinking oh my mum won't you know what's that 20p like and I remember watching a bunch of like heavy metal music videos you know like funny enough like Metallica and stuff we were on about that earlier on and uh, I remember when the phone bill came through, and it was probably like, what, five pounds or something like that. And I remember my mum like, what is this? What is this phone bill? And I was just like, oh, this is a guy I watched, looked at some music videos. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I remember with NTL, because when you got on the internet, you'd have like, was it an hour or two hours, and you'd have to redial? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so. it always dropped when you were downloading. Oh, right in the middle of a Napster session. Yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> well, let's get on to games. Yeah. Let's talk about scary video games. What game really scared you? I don't want to sound big-headed, but I've, I think I've always dealt with games quite well, even as a child. Like, we played Resident Evil 2 mm. when we first got PlayStation 1. Like, uh, Not when we first got one, but I think we'd had one a little while. It was like the Christmas after we got one. And we played, actually, funny enough, Resident Evil 2 first. And I was brought up on a lot of kind of, like, zombie films and you know like horror films like american werewolf in london's like my dad's favorite film of all time mm. and as long as i can remember i i've known of that film and seen it from like a really really small child so games never really really bothered me that much but like obviously there's games that make you jump like dead space for the xbox 360 made me jump cry a lot but in terms of early games I've, they never really scared me i just found them more interesting and more kind of like actiony if anything, like, for me, I don't know. Um, there's one with a bit of a hidden gem called Obscure for the PS2, which me and my friend Richard played when we were about 14, and that's quite scary. Got a lot of jumps in it and stuff. What about you, Dan? Well, you did mention Resident Evil, and I think, you know, that I remember playing that on my brother's PlayStation, like, late at night, you know, yeah. like midnight, and, you know, the light's all off. And, again, it's more jump, jump bits, yeah, isn't it? You know, someone yeah. runs through a door or something. It's, uh... But also, I mean, um, other games like Alien vs. Predator, on the Atari Jaguar. Yeah. Which I think is really creepy. I it's mean, an atmospheric game, isn't it? Yeah, well, you've got these like, long tunnel sections, you know, like a lot of early first-person shit. I mean, even Doom, I found quite creepy, you know, oh, playing really? that late at night. Well, it's just the fact that, you know, you, you might get an area where there's nothing going on for a while. Yeah. And like other FPSs, like, you know, 
uh, Heretic and Hexen, they were kind of like yeah. that too, where you just get nothing, you, you just kind of be alone for a little bit, then something would happen. Open a door and, oh! Yeah, right. <laughs> like, whoa! Yeah, so. yeah, I don't think there was any really games that I'd think of that kept me up at night kind of thing, but yeah, definitely jump scares kind of like would scare me. I mean, I always found with Resident Evil, I remember it clear as day, my next door neighbour was around and we are having a sleepover, and he was like, oh, did that make you jump? And I was like, well, it didn't make me jump because, you know, the cinematic widescreen lines appeared above at the top of the bottom <laughs> of the screen, like, you know, being that not bad, like seven years old, like, you know, I knew that that hunter was going to jump out of the cupboard, you know. <laughs> well, uh, the one for me was Darkseed because uh, okay. I was well into point and click games and that was by H.R. Geiger, the guy who did Aliens. Mm, yeah. So all the art was amazing and I remember just playing the demo of it and thinking, oh, this is nice. Went downstairs, opened the door, there's a dead baby in a <laughs> in a cradle when you're just like, oh! And then there's this one point where you touch a mirror and it takes you through to this kind of dark world. His hand goes on a mirror and it like, Oh, sucks him in and that used to freak the hell out of me I, I, I'd take the disc out and I just wouldn't play that I don't think I've got past that part in the game <laughs> never the, playing it again yeah. going to the bathroom not then touch yeah. a mirror yeah. I'm going to put that in the back of the fridge never... <laughs> yeah, that's it freeze it yeah. well on a more positive note what games make you laugh Simon the Sorcerer for me I mm. thought that that was the one because it had Chris Barry doing the voice on oh, the talkie version yeah yeah who was you know Rimmer from Red Dwarf and it had really good writing. It was very funny. There's this whole scene about these woodworm and you're being racist against them because you're giving them the wrong wood and stuff. Oh, it's just so good. <laughs> like, that game would just have me cracking up. And this guy who serves, like, bogey soup. Yeah. And he's made, he's a giant bogey and you're you're trying to be really polite and not hurt his feelings. But every time you eat the soup, you're vomiting everywhere. <laughs> and it's like, you know. I, I think for me, it's more kind of like the experience. So, like, straight away, it kind of comes to mind when... Mario Kart Double Dash. I remember me and my friends all getting together for like my 14th or 15th birthday. And we just like, I remember like we had the, the house to ourselves and just had like the time of our lives, like the funniest time playing that and drinking like Alco Pops. But then I can like, you know, those proper classic like N64 four play kind of games, like really just, but like really like to a point where you're laughing. And I remember playing Perfect Dark once and we all just ganged up on my friend and like he just had such a mardi but the other three of us were just like rolling on our backs like <laughs> laughing and he's like oh I'm not playing this game anymore it's stupid like and you're all like, just like, there. I, like I was at your Christmas party oh uh, yeah. yeah 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 pretty much <laughs> what about you Dan funny ones well, I think you know I always remember Grand Theft Auto Vice City mm-hmm. the radio stations in that I would be crying yeah. at the DJs on that that was hilarious yeah that was cool but in terms of storyline, probably Monkey Island games. Yeah. Again, you know, point and click classics, and it's just you know the stuff like you know in, that Ron Gilbert and the team will come out with in those games. It's just even you know I played the like the HD upgrades of them recently, and there's just some cracking lines in there. That, yeah, yeah, you're right about Vice City as well. That was mm. hilarious. The rock band. Yeah. I can't remember <laughs> what they were called, but they were so good. So Sega or Nintendo. You'd have to think about this one, Joe. Surely. Mm, surprising. Depends, you know, like <laughs> Sega. I think Sega. Sega. Um, I'm probably gonna go for Sega for nostalgic facts. Um, I think, like, I don't know if you kind of like really like sat down and really thought about it and kind of cracked that egg open. I think I would probably side with Nintendo and say I've got so much more games I love for Nintendo, but just overall experience, nostalgia, just kind of like what I prefer to collect for, and I think the Mega Drive, like Sega, for me. I think. What about you, Ravi? Um, I'd say Sega, definitely. Yeah. I only had one friend who had a NES, 
And all my other mates would have Mega Drive Master Systems, we'd yeah. play in Cyborg Justice, Streets of Rage, oh, yes. all of that yeah. stuff. And yeah, Nintendo just wasn't on my radar. Maybe if I had more exposure. Actually, yeah. N64 was on the Golden you, Eye was good. Yeah, you but. see, I had a Mega Drive. Um, we all had Mega Drives. All my friends had Mega Drives. And then our cousins had a SNES and my uncle had a SNES. We would only see them like twice a year. So like you say, it's all about that exposure. Uh, but then we got a PS1 and then I actually got an N64 a couple of years later and that was kind of like... So I've kind of got that nostalgia there, but if, if you go really early and dig really deep, it's probably Sega. What about you, Dan? Yeah, I've got to say Sega as well, I'm afraid. <laughs> oh, I thought <laughs> you'd be Nintendo. Nintendo. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, I think... Obviously, I've got that first memory of, you know, Nintendo being my earliest gaming memory, but... Um, I had an Amiga 500 and a year after my brother got a Sega Mega Drive so we had both in the house so I used to play a lot of Mega Drive with my brother when I was like you know about 12, 13 mm. and again it was just you know I, I also think that most of my friends at school either had Amigas or Mega Drives I had one friend Martin who had a SNES but you went around there and I mean you know we loved playing like Mario Kart and stuff like that that was amazing but a lot of the games he had was stuff like Another World which you know yeah. played on the Amiga already so there weren't yeah. really that they didn't make much of an impression on me whereas like I remember like Streets of Rage you said there and like Sonic too. I remember when my friend Martin got that, and I remember my brother getting it. It was a game that not regarded as a Mega Drive classic by most people. Uh, Decap Attack. <laughs> I used to love that. Hey, it's on every compilation. Like yeah, it's so much fun. So and uh, or was it Splatterhouse? Oh, Splatter yeah. Splatterhouse yeah. Two. Yeah, you ever Splatterhouse play, uh, One was for the Turbo Graphics. Uh, so. Yeah, two then. Yeah. yeah. Pete Sampras Tennis. Did you ever play that? No. Play that. Expect Ravi to come up with like a (laughs) sports title. That's that's a like, Yes, Blahouse. Streets of Rage. And he's like, yes, tennis. (laughs) Best tennis game ever. Chucky (laughs) Cheese. Little reference to the Christmas show. (laughs) Never going to live that down, are you right? Never. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I also think, you know, moving forward after that, I mean, you know, the Dreamcast would be up there and like, you know, if not my favourite ever system, then... I just, I don't know, I think as well, like the Saturn is quite an obscure yeah. console and I really like collecting for that, so I think, yeah, definitely Sega. Sega would just, it felt cooler when yeah. you were a kid and it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, they had more yeah. attitude, didn't they? Definitely. So which gaming magazines did you used to read? Games Master, mainly. I never had a subscription, but I had about three friends, like in my form at secondary school, uh who all had subscriptions to it and got it every month and usually I would always end up either reading it at school or one of them once they were done with it giving me the magazine to read so it was always definitely Games games Master for me um, CVG yeah I'd read that and the PlayStation Magazine the official yeah you know what yeah PlayStation Magazine as well we used to uh my cousin and Andy had a subscription to that. I'd live off those demo discs. Yeah, he, <laughs> They'd be played so many done, times. Once he was done with the demo disc and the magazine, once again, it would come to me and my brother. So, yeah. Every time you buy a used PlayStation, it always comes with loads of demo discs. Of that, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but um, We had the colours, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like orange ones and the yeah, blue ones. Yeah, it's like... And I remember we had, like, literally, we had, like, number one up to, like, number 40, like me and my brother did, because of... My cousin was subscribed to the magazine. So. Worth quite a bit now. <laughs> I don't know where they are now. <laughs> With like Amiga and stuff, I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually uh, use them for gaming or buy them because my dad was also an Amiga user, so he'd kind of have them first and then never seem that cool. So I'd try and get like CVG, which had a bit more attitude at the time, like later in the Amiga life and stuff. 
Well, that was the opposite. I used to only buy Amiga magazines. <laughs> like, <laughs> only ones I ever bought Amiga format, CU Amigos to buy. You know, so even when that, you know, when the cover CDs came in later on, because I got mm. a CD-ROM drive and like you get like 700 megabytes of programs and games and all that was pretty cool. But even like the, the cover discs used to give away were like demos on that kind of thing. And I used to like the full price applications like, you know, Imagine 3D Studio and mm. Vista the Landscape. I'd sit there making like lakes and like yeah. <laughs> clouds and things and like leave my computer to render it for four days. Um, and also used to buy Amiga Shopper. Like, it was quite a serious magazine. Yeah, yeah, my dad used to get Shopper as well. I used to do like programming and stuff on it and they'd often give you cover discs with like, you know, C compilers on, so a bit more nerdy maybe than what you guys used to buy. But. <laughs> well, I've, I've got a good question for you here, Dan. Okay. Um, which game would you consider a hidden gem? A hidden gem? This is quite a hard one to answer because... What do you define as a hidden gem? Something that's kind of not well remembered in the mainstream, I suppose? I, yeah, something that's not mainstream. Maybe it could be a release of a game, like a version of it that's not become massively popular, but it's still a popular franchise. Or it could just be a completely see, random odd one. With me, with hidden gems, like I have that battle of, does it have to be something which is kind of like, not really heard of, but not really regarded as an expensive game to get a hold of? Mm-hmm. Because I can think of some which really, really, really good, like absolutely fantastic games which nobody's ever heard of, but if you look it up on eBay, it's like a 30, 40, 50 pound game. So is that really a hidden, you know, is that a hidden gem? Because obviously some people do know about it because of, you know, because it's quite a sought after game, but then there might not have been that many prints of it. So, or would you consider something which is very common, which nobody really regards as a good game, but you actually play it and get your sink teeth into it. Maybe YouTube's a good benchmark. You know, if you YouTube a game, there's not many videos of it. Yeah, that's a good benchmark. Well, for me, it's, Worms Director's Cut. Mm-hmm. So this was the last version of Worms that was released for the Amiga, and it was kind of like had all the extra features that were going into the PC version and Armageddon and stuff like that. So they basically had like exploding grandmas. Yeah, they had like the super sheep, all of the kind of add-ons, grappling hook, and everything. I think they only sold like ten thousand copies or something. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, it was really small, but it was just such good fun. Yeah, that was the best version of Worms that I've played. Sounds good. Well, again, it's kind of like, you know, probably with Amiga stuff, because it's generally, because they're only really ever big here in, like, Europe, it's like you don't really see that much of them from, like, American YouTubers and that kind of thing. But mm. I mean, there's games like Hired Guns and, like, you know, mm. I used to love that game on the Amiga. It was quite a well-selling title for Psygnosis, but, you know, you don't really hear much about it outside of, like, you know, Amiga communities. And even stuff like... Um, Universe and Beneath a Steel Sky, those kind of classic point and clicks that weren't like LucasArts games, so you don't hear a lot about them anymore. But you know, there were a lot of games that I used to love as a kid that kind of, when you got into the online yeah. kind of world, you kind of thought, actually, not, not as many people know about these games as I thought. Yeah. I can't, I think the one that's kind of coming to my mind is Wild Arms for the PS1, which is a very Japanese action RPG. Cool. Well, straight up RPG, not actually, it's got an action element to it. Um, <clears throat> and if you YouTube it, like, Dan says, like, there is, you know, a lot of videos about it, a lot of walkthroughs to it. Um, you know, there is quite a following, but it's one of those games which, whenever I've ever mentioned it to anybody, they've never heard of it. Like, you know, like, general, just kind of general games, like, oh, have you ever played this RPG? You know, people who are into Final Fantasy and stuff, like, not proper hardcore games, but they have no idea of its existence, and it's like, well, there's, like, seven of them now, like. But, yeah, the first one for me was just a game I rented from Blockbuster once when I was a kid, and copied it because we used to do that (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and then just kind of always stuck with me as a bit of like a for me a little bit of a hidden gem because nobody ever knew about it check it out (laughs) well moving away from gaming mac or windows windows and that's hard to say because i used to hate 
absolutely hate Microsoft for a long, <laughs> long time. So, yeah, uh, after 98, though, 98 second edition, I was onto Windows and I tried Mac. I bought a nice Mac. I started web developing on the Mac and, yeah, just couldn't get on with it. They don't fix problems. Was that OS 9, quickly. was it uh, No, this was OS X later on. Okay. I started doing some big, you know, with the G5s and stuff, I started doing some proper Mac dev and getting really into it and now windows it's just much more of an environment where you can customize everything and fiddle with stuff which i like to do see i never liked windows either i mean you know i think it's probably our amiga background there isn't it like all amiga users hated bill gates and microsoft but i think for me i mean i remember windows 95 coming out and using it at school and being like all right you know windows is kind of caught up to the amiga now in terms of like the operating system and then 98 was actually the first pc i got Mm. but i had um not second edition the first one that was really buggy. Yeah. And it was the first PC I, I had at home. And like it would blue screen a death like every hour or two. So that gave me a bad impression of Windows. I was like, sod this, I'm gonna keep using my Amiga. Wasn't until XP came out that really I kind of, you know, started using Windows full time. But it's interesting you mentioned about kind of the G5s and stuff, because that was around the time I kind of got quite into the Mac because Windows Vista was pants. Yeah, yeah. And it Leopard was, was yeah. a lot better. Yeah, I don't think I ever installed Vista. I just stayed yeah. with XP. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Vista probably got a bit of a bad rep because it was, you know, like we said on the show before, I think when talking about it, the hardware wasn't quite ready mm. for it. And a lot of OEMs were selling it, you know, when it couldn't really support Vista. But I did, my first laptop was, um, I think it was an iBook G3. I actually got for free in a competition. <laughs> so that was at like, my first Mac. How about nowadays? Because I know that you've kind of got a lot of Mac products. Yeah, I've got both, really. I mean, my main PC is a, a Windows 10 machine. But I also have like a brand new MacBook Pro and I've got a Mac Mini and I've got like, you know, yeah, two another MacBook actually. So I've probably got more Macs. I've only got one Windows PC actually, technically, unless you count older stuff. But I think there's not really a desktop solution for like a power user. Because I don't want an iMac because I like having dual screens at the same like kind of size and style. Yeah, and it's all that Surface stuff at the moment and stuff. So, yeah. And it's that, you know, I don't like the, the dustbin you know, Mac Pro, <laughs> and that's like three grand at the starting point. So, yeah, I, I use both. Uh, I, well, I'll go with Windows because of, I've never had a Mac, but mm. then I have a lot of Apple products, but obviously that's not really the question. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to go with Windows just because that's what I work with. You know, I've got a Windows laptop at home. I've got a Windows desktop computer at home. And then every day I work on a Windows computer. So, you know, the whole way for education and college and everything was always done on Windows. So, But then I did do music technology, which was on a Mac. So if I'm creating music, producing, recording or whatever, I've always preferred to use Mac, but I've never owned my own Mac, so I'm going to go with Windows. You make an interesting point there, though, about, you know, just, you know, what you know. Because, like, yeah. you know, my Mrs. Samantha, I got her a MacBook, but she's only ever used Windows, and she really struggled with it at first. Yeah. Just because, you know, to her, a computer was Windows. But I think, you know, for me growing up, obviously I had, like, you know, 8-bit machines, and I had, like, you know, an Amiga... And we used Acorn Archimedes at school. So, you know, back in the early 90s and that, you kind of learned a lot of different operating systems yeah. because there was loads of different machines. Whereas after like 1995, it was pretty much all Windows. So I think maybe my brain's a bit more, you know, I can use Linux and stuff now as well. Just You're like, cause... where's the command line? <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. yeah it's true. I think, you know, maybe my mind's a bit more open to trying different OSs because that's always the way it was. Whereas yeah. if that's all you've ever known, I guess. Interesting point. Uh, speaking of the old days, what technology do you miss the most, Ravi? Mini disc. I love mini disc. I thought it was so nice and you could record really high quality and wherever you ran, it wouldn't skip. That was a good thing. You know, you had a portable device. It was really cool. 
and quite cheap actually for mini discs, but uh, it never seemed to kick off really big, did it? There, there wasn't any uh, like singles that came out on mini disc or albums or anything. There wasn't Japan a couple, wasn't there? Um, yeah, not but here. not in the stores. Well, I remember everyone though, like just before the iPod really took off, like the early two thousand, maybe two thousand one, two. Everyone I know seemed to have a mini disc portable then. Yeah, and there was this thing called NetMD, which Sony did, which was basically you could put like MP3s on it and it would compress them down and then you'd be able to fit tons more on a mini disc than you could on one of the early iPods or one of these players. And that was like, yeah, mini disc still has the edge, but then it went. (laughs) (laughs) I remember we used to use them at like college and stuff for like, uh, you know, like recording audio and like the radio studios and stuff. So they're quite good for that. Yeah, we could just have a band. We used to have a band and we'd just put a mini disc recorder in the middle of the room with a mic and then just play a session. And you could still hear it back and it would sound much better than cassette, you know. Well, it's the thing. I mean, you know, consumer technology before that for recording music was cassette tape. And, you know, in in terms of like sound quality, it was like CD quality, really, wasn't it, Minidus? So that was quite a big leap. But you, Joe, anything you missed from the old days? Any bit of tech? Um, cartridge-based gaming, really. Um, it kind of, like, for me, it's kind of like with vinyl. A lot of people say, oh, I really like vinyl because it's really like getting something physical. You've got this nice big, you know, vinyl disc and then you've, record, sorry. And then you've got, like, all your artwork and, you know, all your lyrics on there and everything for me. Um, I absolutely love and adore, and I still do, having, you know, your clamshell cartridge box, like with a Sega Mega Drive, and then you've got your nice, chunky uh, instruction manual, and then you've got your big cartridge, and just kind of like that physicalness of it. Um, I really miss that. And then probably arcade cabinets. Yeah, <laughs> and the loading speed as well on cartridges. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Well, I mean, the Nintendo Switch does use technically cartridges. Technic- is it more like SD cards? Yeah, it? it's more like an SD card, isn't it? But, yeah, no, I think that, you know what I mean, that kind of yeah, like yeah. pre N64 kind of like technology. You don't get the the satisfaction opening it up. <laughs> like, you know, you used to get, like you said, the big Mega Drive cartridge. Yeah. Having something as big as your thumbnails, not quite putting it into the consoles yeah, a bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not quite as nice. And they don't taste very nice either. Yeah, you know, I, I keep hearing that on YouTube all the time. I've licked a few of my cartridges. <laughs> not that bad. I saw your video, I watched your unboxing yeah. video, and you're like stood there like licking it like, mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's being screen grabbed. Ever. But for, I mean, you actually said mine then. I was going to say arcades. Oh, yeah, really? Oh, sorry. Kind of, yeah, but it's, uh, you know, that, that is probably, I think the arcade experience is what I miss the most. You know, I just remember being a kid and like summer holidays and that you go into them and just, it'd be like... Uh, you know, kind of like where all the kids would go and hang out yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Might look a bit weird as a dude in his 30s hanging out there now, but, you know, when we got retro conventions and all that, though, and, like, you know, revival coming up, yeah. it's just cool seeing that yeah, know, really absolutely. takes you back. So, And apart from that, though, I mean, because I've generally, any kind of old bit of technology that I'm interested in, I've probably still got today, so I don't really get a chance yeah. to miss them all that much, to be honest. <laughs> I need to get a mini disc player. I've, I've got a few if you want one, right? Oh, okay. Cool. Another mini disc player. Hey. There you go. Done a deal on the show. Worth coming in this week, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> so this one's one that might require a bit of thought. What would your alternative world look like? Now, from this, I presume you mean maybe, you know, a company that didn't make it, that maybe could have, or a product that should have come out that never did, or what do you think? Oh, you put pressure on me. <laughs> I'm going to have you wrote this. <laughs> what if Sega beat Nintendo? Mm-hmm. Mm. That would be an interesting one. Where would Sega be now? Like, if, let's say, you know, they carried on being successful, the, you know, they didn't make the mistakes they made with the uh, the Sega CD and the 32X and just went straight to the Saturn and spent more time with that or didn't, you know, spent more time with the Dreamcast and kind of released, you know, you know, it just had a successful kind of console past 1993, like past the 16-bit generation. What would the gaming world look like now, you know? 
that'd be quite interesting to see. It wouldn't, you know. I I kind of think, you know, I do miss Sega. Yeah. In the hardware market, I oh, miss yeah. what you know when we go to like you know replay and stuff, looking up and seeing like you know Sega boxes and stuff you know on the shelf in shops like these yeah. little stores. It's like it's like oh I miss it. Yeah. No, I really miss Sega as well. Like as a hardware company, they were so like out there with what they'd come up with and stuff and like maybe ahead of their time a bit too ahead of their time mm-hmm. i think um and obviously some very unsexual unsuccessful obscure ideas but and unsexual un- un- <laughs> and unsexual you know there's nothing unsexual about sega uh so yeah i think that'd be interesting to see i think for me you know you know my answer's gonna be ravi if uh you know if commodore didn't make the big mistakes they did in the early 90s if they had you know actual people with brains running the company so great technology maybe they'd have gone on to be like you know the like Apple are today, you know, it would have been an interesting time, maybe. Yeah, I, I don't know. For me, I kind of, if the Amiga had not failed and Commodore had not failed, then I kind of wouldn't be here doing this. So I kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> down may, with that. May, maybe let's. In my alternate world, Microsoft wouldn't have happened, and that Bill Gates deal wouldn't have happened with IBM. CPM would have gone in or something differently Gary Kildall yeah and then maybe Commodore would have done a bit better (laughs) or or a new company would have got stronger like maybe Amstrad or Dragon 32 or something really weird like that or Sinclair could still be going imagine that well I mean another alternative view would be British computing what what if like you know that Nintendo and Sony deal like came off if they just made a CD-ROM drive like that we're talking about in the show earlier yeah that's a good point actually the world would be completely different wouldn't it yeah what if, eh? What if? What if? We could go on this all night, couldn't we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what if the CDI was a massive success? <laughs> so here's one here that might be quite interesting. What console changed your life? I would like to say the Sega Mega Drive, but I don't think it did change my life because my life was, as I said earlier on, my earliest memories were it was in the household when I was born. It was there. It was already there. So I don't think I can pick that one. Um and I'd like to go with PS1, but I don't think, you know, because I was only about five, six years old when that kind of came about, that, that the impact really, really struck home for me. So I, I'm going to go with one which not many people would probably expect, but GameCube. Mm-hmm. Because it was kind of that age, you know, that kind of like between, it was my console from the age of like 11 to like 16. Um, and that's really when I really, you know, had all those nights of gaming, staying up like way past the time, you know, bedtime really, you know, and spending weekends with my mates the entire weekend from like Saturday morning to Sunday night just playing GameCube because all me and my friends were such nerds and we all had GameCube. We didn't have PS2. Uh, and I think that's really, 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 really hit me that gaming was like a big part of my life. So yeah, GameCube. About you? Um, Xbox original, purely for the online gaming. Yeah, before I'd not played online gaming, I was playing stuff like I think it was Full Spectrum Warrior, which was like a wicked Iraq based kind of military one, and then Halo as well. Mm -hmm. I'd be playing that online when I wouldn't at all be, and that introduced me to like lobbies, waiting for the games, trolls, squeakers, you know, kids, like (laughs) (laughs) stuff like that. It was was a very, very good console, and it was kind of that big opening up of the world. The PlayStation introduced me to 3D and CD, but the Xbox One, uh, Xbox Original. Well, we're talking about, you know, obviously computers before, and, you know, so the BBC Micro is what got me into machines, but in terms of consoles, I can only really say there's one console that changed my life, and that would be the Xbox 360. Yeah. Because I totally got out of gaming for about 
six years before that machine mm. came out. You know, I got into DJing, uh, you know, when I went to university and I was into partying and stuff. Didn't really care about gaming at all. I mean, I had friends who had, like, you know, original Xboxes and PS2s and GameCubes. And, so you never like, had an original Xbox? No, no, I didn't know. Oh, Actually, wow. I was out of gaming completely from about 2001 to about 2007. Wow. Those, like, five years, I just had no interest. I was, in, I was buying vinyl with all my money, you know, and CDs and... All my money's going to Mean girls. Yeah. yeah I, I get that. Those few right. years, I was a non-nerd. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you went to like, uni and stuff, and like, yeah, you yeah, met new yeah. friends, and like, you know, we, we had like, we had an original Xbox, actually, in university in our, uh, one of our common rooms, and like, you know, we, we would, we play Worms, actually, yeah. on it, so, you know, so I did have memories of it, but then I remember, you know, I moved to a new town, I moved to Bristol in 2007, got a job there, first time I completely moved away on my own without any friends, mm. brand new city, didn't know anyone. And I remember walking into, just randomly, like, shopping on the high street, and I saw an Xbox 360 in Games Window. Or not in Game Station, actually. Went in, it was like, you know, about 170 quid, 180 yeah. quid, I think, secondhand. So I thought, well, it might be quite cool to try a few games. I had no idea what I was buying. I think I got Cameo with it. Was that the first <laughs> game? I bought the one without a hard disk, because it was expense, extra money, and I thought, oh, I probably don't need a hard disk. Came up the next day, bought hard disk, because we like needed <laughs> it's one. It's weird to think that you were, like, so naive as yeah. well, like, like knowing, you, knowing you now, like, I don't, it probably does come across to the listeners, but Dan is, like, the biggest tech nerd and, like, knows everything about every console. So you too kind. It's, it's really interesting <laughs> for him to, to, to know that, like, just 10 years ago, yeah. you were just like, oh, yeah, I'll just buy the normal, like, Xbox 360. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was in the arcade, they called it, I think. Yeah, the arcade, yeah. And then my brother, like, you know, he had a PS2 still at that point, and he didn't play it much. And I remember it was, like, Christmas coming up, and he said, oh, you know, he came to stay with me and we were playing I think Call of Duty 4 had just come out Yeah, he's like this is amazing we're doing like split screen and he bought one signed up Xbox Live my other friend got one and like you know it was quite late to the party in terms of online gaming but then every weekend COD 4 we used to just play to like 4 or 5 in the morning yeah. and like GTA 4 when that came out as well Oh yeah, but it was um, yeah so the Xbox 360 is what got me back into an interest in video games so without the 360 wouldn't be here doing this show today <laughs> you know what I mean so it wouldn't have done YouTube that's nothing. really interesting yeah so this is quite, um, you know, talking about the PS One. What's your favourite PlayStation One game? Oh God, there was there was this really strange one. Um, you were like a fireman, and you were on multiple floors. Uh, uh, oh, Roscoe McQueen. Yes, yeah, that, that was Roscoe wicked McQueen. game. Yeah. You, you were just in like little square rooms, and you had cardboard boxes, and they were on fire, and you had to like put fires out in certain areas to get to different parts of the room and they had these little yeah it was proper like they tried to really go with the whole like he's a bit like Duke Nukem like yeah, yeah. Had, like lots of expressions and like you know lots of like catchphrases and stuff and, it, kind of and he had um, his little robot kind of engineer people that would be around there as well and uh Pandemonium as well which was That's a kind game. of side scrolling early PlayStation game with yeah. uh, my cousin had that it's like a so trampolines and stuff yeah, it's yeah. A proper early platformer but like that 2.5D kind of like yeah. it's a 3D game but it's still a 2D yeah. platformer and uh, Shipwrecked as well oh Shipwrecked yeah, Shipwrecked yeah 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 that's that a good, a good game. little fight that was a lot of early games there actually weren't yeah they? yeah those are the demo discs yeah the demo discs <laughs> games really <laughs> what about you um Really, really, really big on RPGs when the PS1 was kind of like in its heyday. So, like Final Fantasy 7, 8, 9, yeah. uh, Wild Arms. Um, if I really had to give a favourite PS1 game, um, maybe Final Fantasy 9, maybe. Yeah, I'll go with that one, yeah, for now. I'll probably think of something. I'll go home and look at my collection and go, oh, God, that's my favourite game ever. Why didn't I mention that? But on the spot, Final Fantasy 9. 
What about you, Dan? Yeah, see, I never had a PS1. My brother did. So yeah. I used to play his. But I mean, you know, obviously, you do the predictable stuff like Tomb Raider and, you know, Ridge Racer. I used to love yeah. Ridge Racer because he's playing the arcades. But I think the game we probably have most fun with is uh, Twisted Metal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Hilarious. That was, that was yeah. amazing. It's just like, you know, it's a great competitive game, isn't it? Yeah. It's kind of like I used some micro machines before it as well. It's kind of just like, especially a racing game where you can smash each other up yeah. and stuff. Was so. that micro machines V3? Oh, I know. I mean, I know there was a PS version. It was the Amiga. I used to play the Mega Drive version of that. But yeah, Twisted Metal by my uh, PS1 game, you know, of choice fighter. Just play one game on that system. Now, what was the console or machine, you know, can broaden this maybe to computers as well, that you used to drool over as a kid, Ravi? This is going to be a really niche Amiga thing. <laughs> um, the Siamese system, if you ever remember this. this is, was that a PC and an Amiga in one thing? Yeah, it was just a big fat case. And it was like Amiga was kind of get, getting behind. We couldn't keep up with the PC. So they just shoved a PC inside of it. <laughs> had an Amiga and a, and a keyboard that you could switch between both of them. And I thought that was well cool. Right, like an yeah. Ethernet link and you could do the graphics yeah. and all and that. And later on he did one with a Mac inside as well. Oh, so really? it's a PC Amiga and a Mac, yeah. So the Siamese will be yours. Yeah. yeah. Cool, cool choice. For me, I don't know, because I was quite lucky in, enough to kind of like have an older brother. So it was always like every kind of Christmas or birthday, you know, not necessarily Christmas, but mainly birthdays, like I might get a console and then he might get a console if we were very lucky that year. Also, our parents weren't together growing up, so that meant, you know, we always had like one parent out doing the other parent, which was always quite funny. Um, but I think maybe interestingly, uh, the, the Sega Master System when I was very young, because me and my brother were very naive and uh, we, had a, we had a friend called Ashley who had a Master System and we had the Sega Mega Drive and we didn't actually understand that the Mega Drive came out after the Master System. <laughs> and we used to, I don't know why, we thought the Master System was the better console. But Master we, sounds, yeah. Yeah, like, so we used to think, just being very naive and young, like, oh, yeah, we need a Master System. Imagine if we had a Master System as well as a Mega Drive. So, yeah, I think that's quite yeah, pa- Power-based converter you'd have been sorted. Yeah, no, I didn't know about that when I was that young, did I? So. Right, thank God you didn't do the trade. Yeah, can you imagine if we did a trade? Like, we used to do trades with my uncle, so, like, my uncle's only the same age as me, like, he's in between me and my brother, and we used to do, uh, you know, for, like, six weeks' holiday, he'd, he'd have our Sega and we'd have his SNES, which was always quite good to get the best of both worlds. But, yeah, probably the master system for me. Well, for me, I mean, again, go back to the BBC Micro, the first ever computer I used at school. I remember getting that into it, actually, begging my mum, like, I want a computer at home, I want a computer at home. I actually made, like, a fake computer out of, like, a shoebox. <laughs> 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 like, made keys out of paper and just pretended I had a computer. You know what I mean? I'm so, online. <laughs> yeah, I always wanted, like, you know, just a computer. Fantastic. But in terms of, like, consoles, I think Neo Geo. Oh, wow, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, good choice, very good choice. Because all the kids at school were like, have you heard about this thing called it? And we'd see it in magazines, and it was like one millionaire kids had, you know, it's like, yeah. it's an actual yeah. Oh, my God, it's 600 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ridiculously expensive, but yeah, very, very cool. This is quite interesting. Might cause a bit of debate. Do you prefer modern games over retro or vice versa? That's a good one. <laughs> That's a really good one. I'm going to have to say I prefer modern games. Get off this show. <laughs> no. What are you doing this for? I'm going to go with retro because I think, like, the passion for me, like, I will really, really get stuck into, like, a modern game. Like, at the moment, I'm really stuck into Breath of the Wild, like, and I'm not playing anything retro. But then I know full well games that I've got my eye on, like, I kind of have a list in my phone, on my notepad on my phone, of like, when I go to a retro convention or whenever I go to retro stores, if I see that game, that's the, you know, these are the games I'm after because of, 
I know what I'm like. I can just splurge money on retro stuff. So I kind of have like a list of like 10 games. And when I get one of those games, I will then just kind of splurge on that game. Like So right now I know I've currently got Story of 4-2 for the sake of Saturn on order. Uh, and as soon as that comes, that's probably going to, once I'm done with Breath of the Wild, I'm going to go back to that. And like, I'll just be like, even though it's probably not a very good game, just be like, oh my God, like playing it and everything. Um, so yeah, retro for me. What about you, Dan? I'm quite interested in why Ravi says. Um, well, I don't know. It's hard because there's stuff like Thimbleweed Park that's just come out that's retro. New retro. New retro. I like Ooh. new retro. Oh, okay. But then modern games also come with a couple of hang-ups. Like if you're playing online, you're going to get people abusing you. You're going to get, you know, horrible stuff that you don't get with the retro games. But then it's strange because it's like... GTA or something like that, I absolutely love that. And that's a whole environment where you can do whatever game you want in there. You can spend an hour jumping off a ramp or something. Yeah. And, and the older retro games seem a lot more effort to get to that point that you really love of the game. So if I had a choice where I had to play modern games in retro at the moment, if I was with my retro mates, I'd go for that. But on my own, I'd probably go on modern games, to be honest. You're with your retro mates now, right? Yeah. <laughs> Dan's getting <laughs> really angry now. <laughs> well, actually, for me, I mean, it's going to seem a bit of a cop-out, but I, c- I can't really choose. Because, I mean, to me, it's like... It's like movies, like you, know, you said you prefer new movies or old movies. It's like a movie's a movie. If it's good, it's like it's good and I like playing yeah, it. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. But there are times, I mean, modern games, I find, they do need a lot more time often to sit down. I mean, it's one of the reasons I'm playing my Nintendo Switch more than anything right now. Apart from Breath of the Wild, which obviously is a massive game. If I've got two or three hours, I'll play that. Yeah. But, I mean, I can put Mario Kart on for 15 minutes or P.O.P. or Tetris. I can play that for, like, 10 minutes, you know, mm. while Samantha's in the shower or something before we go out. So in terms of, you know, if I've... Often during my day, I might just have an hour spare. So I can put on, like, a retro game and just have a quick blast of that usually, whereas by the time you've got into something like Grand Theft Auto, it's, like it's time to go out. Uh, yeah. Well, that's the thing. By the time you've got through all the updates and everything. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> but, the, that, yeah. but the thing is, as well, I've been playing stuff like League of Legends for mm. seven or eight years now, twice every day. <laughs> and it's mm. like, you know, comparing that to the amount that I'd pay on a retro game mm. is nothing in comparison. The yeah. Of time you spend it. I can't really think of anything like pre-PS1, which I've really sat down and put like two, three hundred hours into. Yeah. Whereas if you were to say, oh, what Xbox 360 or Xbox One games or PS3 or PS4 games have you done that kind of with? I'd go, well, yeah, I've got all all the Dark Souls games, Demon Souls, Fallout 3, Fallout New Vegas, Fallout, you know, Fallout 4, like, which I've easily put 100 plus, 200 plus hours into each one of those games, not collectively individual games. Whereas I can I really, realistically, can I sit there and go, yeah, you know what, I've put 400 hours into Sonic 3. Mm. Like, no, I probably haven't. I've probably put, like, I probably played it as a lot of a child, but there was probably never a point where I played that single game from 9 o'clock in the morning till midnight. Do you know what I mean? Like I did Fallout 4 when it first came out. Do you know what I mean? So Well, modern games would often keep you playing longer by having less lives. So you'd have to do it all in yeah. like three lives. Yeah. But I mean, a lot of the games were only like five, six levels, weren't they? Because that's all exactly. you could fit. Exactly. <laughs> because so, that's yeah. all you could fit. Like I, I guess as well, the problem is having the setup. Because yeah. I haven't actually... I need to get Retro Arch. I need to get a emulator on there and then I can play some nice old school stuff or get Dirty a, emulators. Or, or get or get an actual mega drive or something yeah. but I don't have that set up so I've got all the modern stuff so kind of winding this up then guys what would you say is um what's been a favorite thing you know we've been doing the show now for like a year and a half Joe was obviously off and on but what's been your favorite thing about doing the retro hour so far 
I'd say the whole revival of the kind of retro scene. Like, I was kind of giving up hope before we did this, Dan. <laughs> I, I went to events and no one was there. I was like, is this just going to be something that I'm interested in and no one else? And then we've gone to events and we've had people come up to us and say, I listen all the time. And it's got to the point that this week I've had two people come into two of my different workplaces and say, Amiga. <laughs> and then... What, randoms? Random, oh, well. total random people have found me and they've said, we listen to the podcast and, yeah... We love it, even to the point that I was doing a gig sound for a gig the other day. Someone turned to me at a bar and said, you're Ravi from the Retro Hour. I was like, what the hell? (laughs) Yeah, It's it's amazing. So, yeah, just to kind of have that community that we've helped build and everyone kind of talk and get on. I have to get a bouncer soon for a moment. Yeah, oh, gosh. <laughs> what about you, Joe? What, what do you like? Why do you come in here? Like, what is it now? 20 past 11 at night. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go for the cheesy one. Um, I mostly enjoy just kind of spending time with my friends, actually. Um, spending time with Dan and Ravi, um, two very good friends of mine outside of the, you know, the retro hour, like knew them before the retro hour. Um, so I just really kind of enjoy just chatting with them um, and chatting about you know stuff that I'm really passionate about which a lot of my other friends aren't really bothered about or interested in kind of thing so I think I just really enjoy that element of it really well there is that too because I mean you know this studio we record the show in I'm in here all day yeah and obviously you know I, I left here at like 4 o'clock this afternoon then I'm back in at 7pm to do the show but it's like it doesn't feel like coming to work it kind of feels like you know I kind of think it, I was walking here tonight because my car's bust at the moment and I thought you know it's kind of like it, it, you know, we're coming here instead of going to the pub. Yeah. Because we'll just be chatting about this anyway. Yeah, so it's exactly. Like, it's cool yeah. to hang out, isn't it? And I also think, you know, doing this show as well, getting to talk to, like, people who are like my childhood heroes as well, the interviews that we do week in, week out, you know. I never thought, you know, I'd have a one-to-one conversation with Tom Kalinske from, like, used to run Sega or... Well, who's been your favourite then, Dan? It's so hard to tell. There's been so many interviews, honestly. It's like... This one, me and yeah. Ravi. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely... <laughs> but I think the thing is with our show, though, we do, like, you know, without getting too self-indulgent, we have guys on who, you know, created games that we've loved since we were child, you know, kids, but also we chat to, you know, people like YouTubers who... Are, and kind of like this interview is today. I mean, it's... Uh, we're not doing Doing this interview because we're like think we're high profile it's sometimes you just have an interesting conversation yeah and that's cool as well you know it doesn't always have to be like some a-list stuff that's the, that's the thing i like about it it's like you know we're kind of having a chat like we're all in a pub <laughs> but then there's like you know ten thousand people listening as well so. On that note, though, Ravi, can you get an A-list star lineup for next week, please? Oh, we have a very big A-list star. <laughs> so this was fun, though, guys. I enjoyed this. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting. It was good. So if you made it this far in the podcast, we'd be quite interested to know your yeah. thoughts as well. You know, should we make this maybe a semi-regular kind of thing? You know, yeah, maybe like, once every twenty episodes or something we could do. It's every twenty years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gosh. Right then, guys. Well, listen. Thank you so much for joining us on the uh, Retro Hour Podcast, episode number seventy. Next week, all about Atari. This is going to be quite an interesting one, I think. Oh yeah, but don't worry, Amiga. We have something coming after that for you. A little teaser there. And if you are coming to a revival, of course, um, we'll be there on the Saturday. We'll leave uh, all that information. We'll update our calendar at theretrohour.com. Right then, see you next week. Ciao. Cheers, thank you.
amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 